Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring you new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And today we have Barrett Ayers, who's the president of Adhesion Wealth, and Clint Sorensen, the co-founder of WealthShield. Welcome, and thank you for being with us today, guys. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, thank you, Doug. So, Barrett, give us a little on Adhesion Wealth and your strengths. Well, yeah, appreciate it. And uh, again, thanks very much for having uh, Clint and I on, the, on the, the podcast today. Appreciate the opportunity. So Adhesion Wealth, the firm itself has been around for about 20 years. You know, we focus almost exclusively on uh, being, focusing on advisors, RAAs, independent fee-based advisors. We, we founded the company because we believe so deeply in the fiduciary model and the value of independent, conflict-free investment advice. We effectively built the firm because um, we were really focused on the advisory space and we saw that there's a, com- a coming need for advisors to outsource. So we think really where we shine is where we can help advisors develop you know, a high performance, uh, high performing investment program uh, that we then help administer on their behalf. We partner with really high caliber firms like WealthShield to hof- offer advisors a range of investment programs of investment advice uh, from a from a whole spectrum of outsourcing entirely to kind of a hybrid investment program to something maybe where they want to put their own look and feel on it and tailor and custom customize it themselves. So that's really where we see the adhesion strengths is focusing on that that RAA who's looking to outsource some of their investments to a platform like ours and using best of breed providers like WellShield. And Clint, what is the power of WellShield? Yeah, so I mean, the power of WellShield is, is very similar to uh, Barrett and the strengths of adhesion as far as the advisor's concerned, right? We were, uh, we were created or founded based on the idea that advisors were moving independent. They were leaving the being employees or in some instances being self-employed and their quest was to be business owners. And in order to do that, they needed systems in place and support that, in our opinion, was going to be largely outsourced. And so we wanted to create a collaborative environment with financial advisors where they were really the decision makers or center of the decision making process. We provided the CIO support services model. So that's really our power is collaborating with advisors to build exactly what they want and what their vision is for their clients. Because at the end of the day, we believe they know their clients best. We don't. And then we want to bring the firepower and, and, uh, and the, uh, the strength, if you will, from a bench standpoint, from, a, from applying the investment knowledge to make sure that they are well equipped to deliver a high quality product, right? That's at the end of the day, what we're after is to support that advisor. And so partnering with firms like Adhesion make that possible because without Adhesion, we wouldn't be able to implement and do it at scale and provide those customized solutions that are really catered to the advisor and their unique clients. So today we want to talk about the evolution of the financial advisor, specifically running the business of an advisory. Has the game changed of being in the business for financial advisors the last five years? Well, uh, so this is Barrett. Yeah, I, I think so. I think dramatically. In fact, I don't think at any point over the course of the last generation, let's say, has has it been kind of a more complex landscape to navigate than it is today. I mean, you know, we talk about three forces that are really sculpting and reshaping the advisory community. You know, the first we see all the time, I know it's a common theme, but fee compression has gripped every advisor and everybody in the investment value chain from asset management to trading to advice 
everywhere along the line, fee compression has really started to grip and take its toll on the advisors. And I think, and we can talk a little more about what the impact of fee compression has to advisors. I think that the other force that we talk about a lot is, you know, there's new forms of competition, uh, competition emerging on the, the scene all the time. You think about the barriers to entry to get into the quote-unquote advice space, and it's, it's, it's pretty low. You know, what it takes to become an advisor is a couple grand and maybe Excel. So, you know, it, it, it's not much to put up a website and uh, call yourself an advisor. So I think most advisors are having a challenge from the robos to, uh, to, to other forms of competition. I think that's completely reshaped the advisory firm and then the P&L of an advisory firm. I think the last thing that we see all the t- uh, time, too, is you know, the pace of M&A. Inorganic growth is completely reshaping the landscape. You know, you're seeing uh, the middle to small advisors now having to compete with a whole new uh, a whole new type of advisor who is, you know, rolled up and aggregated and has different types of uh, investment programs and platforms, and they have to compete with, you know, the complexities and sophistications of some of these platforms. So I think, I think it has changed dramatically. It's kind of like forces from all dimensions of an advisory practice is bearing down on them to kind of figure a way to reinvent their, uh, you know, to reinvent their practice. That's a little bit of a foreshadowing into, I think, where we think the business is going, and I think that's obviously in the outsourcing direction. And Barrett, I just, Clint, I'd add to that, based on those three kind of trends or changes or impacts that are kind of occurring, uh, fee compression, new competition consolidation, I think it's forcing the financial advisor to have to run a business. And I think, uh, Doug, based on your question, I think that's the important word, right? Not the practice, right? Not a practice where you're trading your time for money, you need a business, and that's equipped with teamwork, leadership, scale, systems, right? You have to have that in order to do more. Because if you think about all these great these trends that are happening, the evolution of what a financial advisor looks like now, based on what it looked like even five years ago, and what it's going to look like in the next five years, you're going to have to do more for more clients. And I think that, that is, uh, that's the important distinction in what these three uh, great trends that Barrett mentioned but that's what the impact is. If you want to survive and thrive, you have to build a business that has the scale and efficiency necessary to serve more clients and do more for those clients. So with all those complexities and running an efficient business and managing a client base, it's, it's a difficult task. Can leaders of advisory firms effectively do both? I mean, I'll start with this one. I think, I think a financial advisor, it has to think in the CEO mindset. They have to think, what is my highest and best use, right? Where are my skills best served? If I'm a business owner and I'm making these big decisions, I've got to do, I've got to do CEO-like activities. And so uh, if I'm going to be in the business of serving that client, I've got to be customer obsessed. I've got to deal entirely with the customer. And then I've got to supervise either the outsourced relationships I bring in to support my team or the team I build or both to create this awesome customer-centric experience. And I think it, they can do them both, but you're gonna have to rely on outside resources and build a solid team to do so. And the advisor's gotta focus on what their highest and best use is. And that is being that center of the relationship, that face of the business to attract and maintain, and of course, most importantly, retain clients, right? Because if you have a great customer experience, they're gonna refer more, refer more business, you're going to grow organically just through that 
um, great customer experience. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what an advisor has to focus on. So they can do both, but they have to leverage a team. Yeah, I, so I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and, and here's the rub. And I think this is really where, you know, the power of, you know, Clint and his team and my team, and I, and I don't want to speak for Clint, but at the heart of, of me, and I suspect Clint as well, we're entrepreneurs. And so we understand the entrepreneurial spirit that an advisor brings. It's actually one of the things that drew us to this industry 20 years ago, working with advisors who are entrepreneurs, which really means that CEO mindset is, as Clint pointed out, really, really critical for success here. So the question isn't, do they need to basically be uh, managing clients and also managing a business? Uh, as any entrepreneur, any CEO will tell you, yes, you absolutely have to. There's no question about that. But you do need to pick what's core and outsource what's non-core. And that's what we tell, talk to advisors all the time who are struggling with this is, look, it might have been five, ten years ago, you could do all of the above. But our industry is being advanced and reshaped. And I think it's a good thing. I actually think it's a great thing for investors. I mean, if you look at other uh, industries, you know, even look at like the healthcare industry. You think about something like that. I mean, when was the last time you had a doctor who die cast their own scalpel or pulverized their own herbs for medicinal purposes before a surgery? I mean, you know, really good industries become very efficient. And all that I think is happening in our industry and price compression and other forms of competition are forcing us here is that we need to outsource the things that we're not really core at. It wasn't the end of the healthcare industry. Doctors are still an advisor to their client, and they also pick the right pharmaceuticals, and they pick the right scalpels. And that's all we're talking about here is outsourcing the things that are key to your business. And we tell every entrepreneurial RA we sit down we talk to, we say, look, draw a line right down the middle of a piece of paper, write down the things on the left that are core, write down the things that are not core on the right side, and let's work on the things that are non-core. Those are the things that you should be outsourcing. And so I think it's a natural and very, very healthy extension of our industry for advisors to, to figure out how to be better CEOs, which means picking a good bench and picking what to outsource. And I think it makes a ton of sense. And we're, we're excited to be here to help facilitate this conversation. And I know I, I can probably speak for Clint here, but uh, I think it's a really exciting evolution of the industry. Is there even an argument for staffing up rather than outsourcing? Well, yeah, and, and I, can, I can start answering this one. I, so I, I think it's an interesting question. So I think you have to do both. But to the point that I just made, I believe that you outsource so that you can staff up your core functions, right? So outsource the non-core so that you can save those scarce capital resources to invest in staffing up your core businesses. A lot of advisors talk about scale, and we talk about scale here too, but in my mind, it's really a sequential discussion. I mean, first thing you need to do, you need to grow first. Then you need to know how to scale. So we think staffing up to invest in the non-core operations is really not a wise investment in your, in your scarce resources. I think you have to do both, but hiring for the core makes a lot more sense uh, from, from our perspective. And I would agree with Barrett on that, Doug. I think at the end of the day, it depends, right, what, what you're talking about staffing up, what area of your organization as an advisor you're staffing up if it's the things that advisors want i mean clients want from their advisor right whether it's more communication and better ways of communicating leveraging whether it be technology or uh, other resources but powering that right the client service team the communication team uh the marketing team some of those things and, and not necessarily marketing but a lot of those things can be brought 
uh, are built up in-house and still provide you the room uh, to spend money to grow. Whereas things like um, asset management or technology, it really behooves the advisor to outsource those things because there's tons of adequate resources that exist outside that in a lot of instances are going to be more of a cost savings to the advisor to outsource. I mean, think about technology. I think about some of the big firms. I'm not going to name names, obviously, but some of the big firms who committed to building technology in-house. That was their goal. We're going to build technology. They sold that, sold that, sold that. Now they have this difficult task where they're going to have to adapt to outsourcing that technology and to, to partnering with other vendors because they can't change rapidly enough to keep up with the evolution of the industry. So I think, again, completely agree with Barrett's point. I think it has to be uh, you're staffing up those core responsibilities and building a team and leadership infrastructure to really build a best-in-class offering for your in-client and what they want, right, what the customer wants, and then you're outsourcing those non-essential functions. Barrett, you started to go here, but what's the best way for an advisor to look at themselves, their business, and do a great evaluation of what exactly to outsource? Well, so, so like I said before, there, there is an exercise, and we try to keep it as relatively simplistic as possible, but really go through and identify what you think is core and what you think is non-core. Because, and we use this term all the time. We talk about picking a path. As an advisor, nowadays you need to pick a path. You either need to go down the path of um, uh, investment management and asset management, and maybe you're really good at picking stocks and bonds and ETFs and securities and asset allocation and economic views, and be really good at that and make that your focus, make that your core. Or if on the other side of the ledger, all the things that you wrote down as core are things like, well, I like financial planning. I'm really good at servicing my clients, developing relationships. I'm a great rainmaker. Whatever the case may be, if that's your core, then go focus on that and invest your capital in those sorts of things. Pick your path. And if that path is servicing clients and being a client manager, that's fantastic too. For what it's worth, um, we studies that we've seen, and I, I think I think we have some of these numbers on file. But over the last couple of years, if you kind of plot the P and L of those two different paths, and you look at kind of what revenue growth and just general uh, trajectory of the two types of firms, being an advisor and being a client manager has a much more uh, fulfilling, rewarding, high-paced trajectory than being in the asset management business. Asset management business is getting it's getting to be a rough road, but uh, if you choose to pick the asset, uh, sorry, the client manager path, then um, then outsourcing the investment management makes a ton of sense. So, with all the different choices out there, how can advisors find the best outsource partners to both establish trustful relationships and help their businesses thrive? And I'll jump in just uh, briefly. And Baird, I think you could probably add more color than I could on this. But I, I think at the end of the day, there's based on the evolution of the industry and how fast this being a financial advisor is turning into a business. There's a lot of there's a lot of resources that are servicing in the forms of consultants that kind of can aid in this. And I think that's a great first start is finding uh, and most they're pretty easy to find now, but finding a consultant to kind of guide an advisor through the process of, of outsourcing. Uh, but also the custodians, right? They have a ton of different access points to these outsourced providers. They've not necessarily been quote unquote vetted, but there's usually some sort of relationship built between the outsourced partners and these custodians due to the fact that uh, custody is such an important piece to being a financial advisor. And so I think that's a great place to start is, is custody and then the consultants that exist currently. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's that's probably a really good place to go. We, we talk to advisors all the time. And so I think the, the first thing that we struggle with, and I know we're doing it here today, is use of the term outsourcing. And maybe there's a bit of a you know, negative connotation that goes along with that. It's really about partnering. Outsourcing is not a new discipline. It's not a new function. I mean, you know, you go back to mutual funds. Mutual funds are effectively a way of outsourcing stock selection to a large asset management firm. There was a, uh, an outsourcing study that came out either last year or the year before from TD Ameritrade where they tested all the sentiments of advisors and advisors' perspectives on outsourcing. And uh, the number is trending up significantly, uh, especially when you don't use the term outsourcing. When you say, who are you partnering with for your stock selection? Well, it's something like uh, 60% of investment advisors acknowledge that they felt highly confident in outsourcing the investment man management function to either a mutual fund, a separate asset class by an SMA, all investments to an SMA. And the numbers of folks uh, outsourcing to an entire investment platform was nearly double from five years ago, so up to something like 55 or 60%. So the number is trending significantly higher because people are starting to understand that, the, that their P&L is under pressure, that they need to manage the business. And then obviously, again, with fee compression and having scarce resources that you know, using partners like this is really just an extension of, the, of outsourcing investment management from mutual funds and SMAs, which everybody has obviously gotten used to. So I think, I think the point here is that as we start to talk to folks about partnerships, the more we open up and kind of help folks understand what's core and what's non-core, what path they need to be on, uh, there is, it, it, and, and, and Clint is right, the custodians do a great job. Uh, we work with consulting firms who also help kind of guide them in the right direction as well. But I think this is becoming a natural trend with advisors who really see no other choice but to partner with somebody in terms of outsourcing. You know, we talked about value propositions coming under fire, fees being compressed. What's the best way for advisors to talk to their clients about why they outsource and why? I mean, don't clients hire them to do the work? And is the partnership thought the right one? I think it's what Barrett said about the partnership. And I think one of the things I didn't add, add to this comment, because I think Barrett did a fantastic job, but in terms of what an advisor focuses on, right. And figuring out what to outsource, what not to outsource, what in it, and what to partner with an, with an outside vendor on, I think it, it also has to come down to what they're strong with. Right. And I think that's how they discover their core essential duties is, is really to, to look inward and figure out what are they strong at? What's the client want? What are they strong at? How do those max, uh, match up? And I think if you have great client relationships and you're, you're building in a, a firm that's there to serve the needs of the client, I think discussing that you're bringing in resources to provide that experience is actually well received. And in our experience with advisors, anytime we've been introduced as an, as an outside partner, or another firm or platform has been introduced as an outside partner, it goes over really well with the client because they know what they're paying for ultimately. They're paying to have someone that guides them through difficult decisions, helps them reach their financial objectives, and ultimately helps them sleep well at night, right? It's someone they trust. And advisors get a tad bit insecure about bringing in outside partners to your point because, hey, aren't clients paying them to do the work? Clients are paying them to organize the work, to control the work, to monitor the work. And I think that's clients are not afraid to pay for that and it simplifies their life. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's what advisors should focus on is that customer experience and where their strengths match up with that 
and uh, I think that creates a great firm. Yeah, I, I agree, Clint, and it's interesting you say that. I, I, I think, so the first thing is, I think that there's a natural organic pressure to outsource. Obviously, we, we feel that we're in that business. And I think one of the reasons it's gaining so much traction is because I don't think that the conversations between the advisors and the investors, their clients, are as difficult as many advisors think. I think they are a little bit insecure about their investment management capabilities and their acumen as it relates to uh, some of the more sophisticated ideas in investment management. But uh, an interesting thing happened. So about a year ago, maybe about a year ago, TD Ameritrade did another survey where they pulled clients and advisors. And this one was about their sentiments about in-house investments versus outsourced investments. And the results of the poll were really, really surprising. So 71% of advisors, thought that the clients thought that in-house investment management was exactly what they were expected to do. So advisors, advisors being polled here, over 70% thought their job was to pick stocks and bonds and asset allocation. That's what they thought their clients believed of them. Yet in polling the client audience, the investor audience, only 17% of those polled so that they had any preference at all. In fact, most of them said, I thought that's what they were doing. I thought that advisors were using the best in breed partners and that that was part of what they did. I thought advisors were supposed to be financial planning and tracking to my goal and understanding my objectives. Most investors already assumed that advisors were outsourcing already. So it might be a bit of a harbinger, but I believe that um, as advisors sit down and talk to their investors and introduce this idea of outsourcing, especially you know, for those who don't feel comfortable with it, Explaining this is really an extension of much of what they're doing today. Here's the partners, uh, understanding the, the process and the talking points about the partners. I think that's really key. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to have less friction and less resistance from an investor anyway. That's our, that's our, our belief. So with advisors becoming more and more open to the idea of outsourcing, they're doing it more, they're building better businesses, and it ultimately benefits the investor. Any last thoughts, you guys? I mean, my last thought would be for advisors is really know your client. I know that sounds vague, but, you know, get to know what they want, what they expect, ask them, you know, what are their preferences? It's funny to me, sometimes in this business, financial advisors forget that one of the core tenets of any business is to give your client what they want, right? Is to figure out what they want, know that intimately, know their preferences, and then deliver on that as best you can and create an experience that makes doing business easy, that's built on trust, and, uh, and really, again, back to where that foundation exists or coincides with the, the strengths of the advisor and their team. I think know that, build a business that services that and services that need, outsource those non-essential functions, and I think that really is the key to, to building a great business and and, and, and eventually scaling and growing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, if, if, and look, I was an advisor for a while and I, I understand that there's a, there's a pride thing here and I think there's an expectation thing here, but you know, if you put that aside for a minute and you think about as a business owner, uh, your allocation of resources, it's really no different than reallocating a portfolio, rebalancing a portfolio, proper allocation of your capital across your business is one of the most important functions you as a CEO can do. So I think if, if you were to do the rebalancing math on your own business and see what you could do if you outsourced, which 
ultimately frees up capital to go invest in rainmakers and other advisors and planners and core functions, I think advisors could then start to plot forward and start to forecast out what their assets under management look like and their fees look like. And ultimately, that's really what we're trying to do. We're helping to build value in that business of theirs. So I think if you step back and you started to realize that reallocating your time from research and rebalancing could perhaps cause maybe a doubling of your client-facing and prospect meetings and other marketing activities, it would be a little bit more obvious, I think, than, than, than it is today. And the other thing that, that we didn't talk much about is also the treasure trove of capabilities that it unlocks that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, right? So when you think about what WealthShield and Clint's team does and all of their research capabilities and their asset allocation and everything that they do, coupled with all the things that Adhesion does, tax management, tax transition, rebalancing, all of those capabilities that would perhaps competing against elsewhere, you know, not only do you get a better solution, it's it's at a lower cost point, it's better for your end investor, um, it's really a win-win, but it really is just a matter of kind of putting your pride aside, understand what it is that your objective is, and that's growing and increasing the intrinsic value of your, of your enterprise. When you kind of step back and you look at it from that perspective, you're like, why am I holding on to this stuff? Why is it that I'm spending so much money in technology? Technology is not helping me grow necessarily. Owning a really expensive rebalancer, a uh, really expensive trading tool, that's not necessarily helping my practice grow. I mean, it's helping me get through some of my administrative and operational tasks maybe more efficiently. But how is it helping me grow again? And I think to a certain extent, I know we didn't talk about this, but to a certain extent, I think there's a little bit of a bubble forming in the advisory community. I think what happened earlier this, earlier this year in the first and second quarter where everybody's fees got haircut significantly going into that second quarter, I think people started to step back and look around and say, hmm, what, what, what fixed costs am I sitting on right now that are not contributing to the growth of the business that I may need to start to you know, circle and figure out what to do with. And I think some of the, the technology costs embedded in some of the small to mid-sized advisory practices came under scrutiny uh, earlier this year. And I think, you know, if the market were to correct again, I think you're going to be facing something very similar. Why am I paying a quarter million dollars for a rebalancing and trading tool with a person or two running it when that could very easily have been uh, allocated towards something else? So I think I think in general, you know, outsourcing is a fantastic trend. I think that's the reason why you look at some of the most, the best managed practices and some of the fast growing advisory firms are doing exactly that. Some form of outsourcing has helped kind of catapult them into the, into the, the, the fastest growing advisory firms. It's been quite a year. And if you're not evaluating everything about what you do and how you do business and how you work with clients, you're, you're going to miss out. So I right. think it's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Barrett and Clint, we really appreciated you joining with us today. Thank you, Absolutely. Doug. Yeah, Doug, appreciate the time. Enjoyed it. For everybody at Iris Media Works, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen. Take care.